This is Near Dark Radio. Near Dark Radio. Near Dark Radio. Near Dark Radio. Welcome back to the show, folks. This is your host, John Gower, and I'm joined again today by a man who needs no introduction because he has such a distinctive pattern of speech, a writer of radical poetry and a reader of everything under the sun, the big bad Ray Fox. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me back, and it's uh, good to hear you listening, people out there. I can, I can hear, hear them listening. listening. I can hear you listening. My ears are burning. Yeah. I also, big shout out to everyone in Lithuania listening. I would say <laughs> something in Lithuanian right now, but I can't recall any of the Lithuanian that I learned from my ex-girlfriends. But if you are an attractive Lithuanian woman... Ex-girlfriends. Ex-girlfriends, yes. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, so if you are an attractive Shopping around the woman, Eastern Bloc. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> they find me. <laughs> they They find me. <laughs> Uh, this is the last show of the year and will in fact be the last show for a few weeks. I'm taking some time off to finish producing some music that has been unfinished for far too long now. Uh, I'll be releasing that around February, maybe March. So keep your ears peeled, boys and girls. Um, but don't unsubscribe because I've got some very interesting guests that I'm trying to book. Also in the next, for the next, what do you call it? Season? Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts it's, have seasons. Yeah. You could, you could go the different round and say installment. You could do that. The, the next, next installment. installment of this effort. <laughs> uh, and we're going to talk about some interesting shit if we're still able to talk, if we're not breathing cyanide by then. I, I really wish that you would get like some kind of hype beast on here. Like some like 20 year old. Like hype beast that's just like, and you're like, yeah, man. Like a like a, a Jake Paul or um, Logan I'm talking Paul. No, 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 that's too far up the ladder. I'm just talking about. Like a, <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna happen. I, y'all, y'all hear how much faith uh, Ray has uh, in this no, podcast? No, no, I, yeah. I'm talking about like a fat kid who's into jackets from like L.A. <laughs> who's like really, really famous for like TikTok videos where he's just like he's just holding up a bottle of hot sauce and he's wearing right, these right, cells right. and he's wearing like the know. guy that drinks bottles of ketchup. Yeah. But also he just like, but it's also somehow he, ripped. Yeah, it, yeah. And he just reviews jackets and sells barbecue sauce right. and he's like got a bazillion dollars. I want you to get somebody like that on here and just really, you know, sweet I, baby Ray, sweet baby Ray would be awesome. Is, it Is he a person? Sauce? I don't know. Well, he's put his name on something. Yep. We got a theological episode for you today, folks, but before we get to that, I wanted to address a little piece of news that flittered across my eyes this morning. We are recording on December 27th, and Biden announced today in a meeting with governors from around the country that, quote, there is no federal solution end quote, to the pandemic. Now, on the one hand, I'm sure a lot of conservatives and Daily Wire listeners and Rush Limbaugh listeners are going, yeah, yeah, kick it back to the states. They're probably excited that this this marks the end of federal vaccine mandates, uh, federal travel bans, restrictions, federal mask mandates, school closures, lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. And hopefully that is the case, but it could mean something quite different, is my fear. It could mean 
that our elected officials are telling us are starting to put the idea in our heads that the democratically elected government that we have installed is has come across a problem that is so big it is incapable of dealing with it and you know that now our the management of our society must be handed over to the public health officials the military the financial experts and others besides so i hope that is not the case yeah what what do you do you that that may be the case i mean these people are are like conniving and they hate that they are they're they're conniving and they almost never want to admit that they were wrong so i fear that what you're saying could be true uh, but I would say that they, there's probably a slant to it of some sort, if I had to guess, which I do, uh, that they are very likely going to do something like clearly probably going to play up individual infection rates of states again and being like, look, you're all fucking up because you're not doing what we're recommending. There'll probably be some more of that. And then more, uh, what I fear about this all ultimately is that they will start trying to throttle federal money to states for certain programs if Interesting. they don't do what they say. Because then they'll be like, we would give you that money, but, you know, given the fact that there's like a massive uh, health risk and all these people dying and everything else, right. we just can't give you the money. I, I think that games are going to start to be played with money and, uh, I mean... Start. Yeah, well, they're going to, <laughs> it's going to accelerate. The playing of games having to deal with money is going to accelerate, and then they'll just be more shenanigans because they're conniving. And like the one thing that they never want to have to do, I mean, this really isn't a conspiracy at all. This is just something that you can just look at. When is the last time these people just, any, any member of the federal government since at least the turn of the century, probably since the Carter administration was like, we were wrong. Right. Never. Right. Like that's that's not a thing. They don't admit that they were wrong. They never do. And almost nothing bad ever happens to the people most responsible. Every once in a while they'll kick some middle management person straight under the bus and blame yeah, everything yeah. on them. Like Or Ollie, you know, they'll they'll yeah. they'll do a they'll do a Nixon. Yeah. They'll get a Nixon yeah. type. Well yeah, and well that's attempted the closest that they got, you know, you have a Trump and then you have a Nixon. Right, where they try and blame right. everything on them, or in the case of Tennessee, like an Andrew Jackson, where they try and go after him. But <laughs> generally, it's some kind of Ollie North figure, where it's just like the Iran-Contra arms deal, and they get this one kind of gap-toothed mil- military dude who is kind of a shithead, to be sure. But like, we're right, gonna put but- the whole rap on him when it's like, clearly, that's not what fucking happened. Right. You know, right. It's, eventually, it's gonna, yeah. It's going to, I mean, they could do it to Fauci. I think Fauci is. Kind of one of those people that he's gotten so big for his britches and he's just started sort I mean, he's just really become like a public media persona at this point. I was just talking to my friends earlier today, like, is he is he even making policy? Yeah. Like, all he's doing, I mean, there are people that listen to him in the American, uh, in American society that that structure their lives according to what he says they should do. But other than that, does he really have any power? Well, I mean, at this point, one has to start asking questions about Anthony Fauci that are in the category of, like, Jeffrey Epstein. 
which is, <laughs> yeah, which right. is basically yes. like how many every, not, not, yeah. even worse not how many children did you rape but how yeah. many children did you kill did you kill and even beyond even to take the uh, evil potentially occult aspect of child abuse uh, and murder out of the equation I mean, it would appear just like in the case with Jeffrey Epstein. Like, there's every every reason alive to uh, burn this person and destroy them. Yeah. And eventually that did happen to Epstein, but it only happened when he was in a corner and it looked like he was going to snitch on a bunch of people or he could have. Right. But for years and years and years and years, nobody touched him. And the reason that would appear to be was because of blackmail. Anthony Fauci's been prominent in the government, uh, very prominent in the government since the AIDS, cri- AIDS crisis, which he bungled. Yeah. He killed millions of people through his fucking right. uh, lies and stupidity and egotism. I mean, and not just yeah. that, not yeah. just like the, the medicine that he initially prescribed to AIDS patients. ATZ, yeah. Which was like, it was like 500 times more toxic than poison. chemotherapy. Yeah, it's poison. It's absolute fucking poison. Like, yeah. no, I mean, he, ah. Yeah, I mean, the entire movie of the Dallas Buyers Club, like he's the villain. He was, yeah, he's right. the villain in that movie. And they made him change it. And they made him dial it way down from like the book that was written because they're like, right. and you think about that. Think about why, why would it matter? I mean, he was a nobody in the public persona and the public consciousness at that time. And then some people step out of the shadows and are like, no, you got to tone this down about this guy. You can't say this. And then it sticks in Hollywood and they make him do it. And you would yep. think in Hollywood where many, 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 many talented people died because of the actions of Anthony Fauci. Right. Who were beloved and central to Hollywood from actors to producers to costume designers to directors to yep. writers. I mean, it was one of the biggest things. Mo- yeah. Mostly costume yeah, designers, yeah, most, let's be costume honest. Designers. But, I mean, it was, you know, I think that it's widely acknowledged at this point, at least in artistic circles, that. There was an there was a massive tragedy in the history of the of American arts that still affects our culture to this day through yeah. an entire generation of highly talented artists yeah. who died because of in large part to decisions directly traced back to Anthony Fauci. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. you can you can make the argument like, oh, it was new. We didn't know. Wait, like, how could he have known? Sure. However, when you bungle something that big, maybe you, you don't go to jail, but you don't you don't keep you don't getting, get put in charge of another massive pandemic yeah, you, you, or pandemics every fucking you, five years. You at least get fired. You at least get you fired. You at least get fired and are kind of made a social pariah. Right. For having done that. If you you know, like you don't you don't get you don't uh, fail upwards <laughs> yeah. into managing what we're being told is the greatest you know, this right. is worse than the Black Plague, the Black Death. Like right. this is this is you know, this is uh, you know, it's it's beyond that. It's the worst thing ever. Is what you're told every single day that there's right. never been anything worse. And this person, every single day, it gets yeah. less worse and less worse. And every single day, we're told it's worse and worse and worse. Yeah, that's another thing that's been bothering me lately is these fucking HIV medication commercials, which I'm convinced there's some kind uh-huh. of verbal tick that's being used to ease people into what's going to happen with COVID is it like in these HIV commercials that of course all direct to consumer drug commercials are trash with like <laughs> rainbow colors and like sunsets and shit and stupid fucking names like Lexapratzapal or some shit like Cialis. that. Yeah. 
Like these commercials that are being done for HIV treatments at the moment, like instead of saying that like I'm cured or like my condition is stable and like I can live my life, it's just a bunch of people repeating the word like a incantation, like I'm undetectable. <laughs> and like when you think about when you think about it, like it doesn't explain what that means or how it, like your life is better now. They're just like now, they're like now I'm undetectable. Right. And what does that? What does that mean in terms of like this is now a status that is lauded in the world of virology? Oh yeah. So like is folks pay close attention to these commercials where people say undetectable. Yeah. Because like do you think that that could be set up as some kind of benchmark for how you're dealing with any virus in the future? How do you, like, like you you're sick, you have a virus, it's right. not good, it's affecting your health, but like hey Nobody can detect it. Is this being set up as a standard for health now? Where it's like, we can't cure your shit. We just can't. But we can make it so nobody knows you have it. And we can't promise that this drug will stabilize your condition. And we can't promise that it will make you better or even hold you at a baseline. We can promise that you're undetectable. It's weird. Well, this thing, this whole undetectable thing, I know exactly what commercials you're talking about. I saw... One, while I was trying to watch The Brideshead Revisited because, again, I'm a gay nerd. And it was it was I, the only way I could watch it was with the commercials. So I was yeah, being subjected to is. television's type commercials, which I haven't seen in like 10 to 15 years because I haven't yeah. had a TV. And these things, it was like this very, you know, queer, black artist type who was saying talking about his like – like apparently his identity is wrapped up in his HIV status yeah. and he was just like so self-assured and confident and everything and how that, yeah, it's like, it's so great that I'm undetectable. I'm like, you're on a cocktail, sir. You are on a cocktail of medications. You're on essentially a low grade chemotherapy. Yeah. If you take chemotherapy just as a, not like a specific type of chemical therapy, but just the word itself, chemotherapy, yeah. chemical you're therapy. on a chemical therapy that is not, it's, it's not doing anything good for your liver. No. It's not doing anything good for your kidneys. It's doing better than HIV would if yeah. you let HIV run rampant. Yes. But that's it. That's, that's it. That's all it's doing. And also, I'm sorry, if you're HIV positive... Don't go around fucking a bunch of people. Yeah, it's it's really, really. I know it's sad. It's rude. It's t- <laughs> it's very rude to do that. <laughs> I want to I want to underline that. How rude it rude. is. <laughs> Quite rude. To get very Victorian about it, rather <laughs> rather unbecoming of you to do that, uh, to say the least. Yes. Like, and I know that's hard. I know it's difficult, especially for gay men. Your your choices are already limited. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, get a community together. Yeah. As with fuck other HIV positive people. people. Yeah. Like, that's fun. That's fine. Yeah. You don't even you you know you get to go raw. Yeah. It's not gonna get any worse. Right. <laughs> I mean that's that's not a thing. I mean, another thing that like I can remember years ago, uh, someone that we both know, who um, made a comment to me. And I heard this from a few other people in the gay community mm-hmm. over the years. Was and I worry about this being a weird goal of kind of the public health apparatus is to have people start saying this out loud and 
tracing the fact that the person who's kind of the overlord for this uh, domestically is the person who's in charge of the AIDS crisis, it, it does make me raise an eyebrow. Is it uh, people in their 20s and 30s and now, I guess, in their early 40s, I've heard over the years, certain people just basically say, specifically like 10, 15 years ago, they were like, I, they would say, I feel like I should just like go ahead and catch HIV because it's like inevitable. It's like this rite of passage. Like people have said this shit to me and and basically it was it it was a strange thing to where again your HIV being wrapped up with your identity, the exact right. thing that you heard in the commercial. Right. And now we're seeing people wrap up and they're like, well, what is my identity? Well I'm triple vaxxed. I've got my kids vaxxed. I wear my mask everywhere. Like when you start to see disease being used as a marker for identity and then the notion that if there is just it, like it's a rite of passage. It is a rite of passage for me to get these COVID shots and it's what separates right. me from all these other people. Right. You know, I, I don't it's, know. I mean, it's – yeah. again, we've said this before on this podcast. It is – this is precisely the same language that Hitler used to describe the Jews. Hitler did not describe the Jews as, you know, some sort of like, yeah, they have, they, they, yes, he said they had nefarious schemes. Yeah. He said they were, you know, trying to ruin German society. But the biggest problem, the reason why they had to go in the, not in the, you know, get out of the country sense, but in the, you know, gas them and burn up the bodies sense, right. is that they were a parasite to the German race. They were a medical problem that was going to biologically infect and destroy the Aryan race. It was pathogenic. Pathogenic. Stalin had the same approach to gays and kulaks and the bourgeoisie. They were were standing in the way of creating the great Soviet man, which at its core was a medical concept. Yeah. So no. all you people with your fucking masks and your fucking vaccine status updates, like, you're – I'm not talking to these people. They're not listening to this show. All no. the people listening to this show, look, you have to understand that these people – many people that you know have started identifying with their biomedical status. Which is wild. Which is so wild. I wish that they would be, in every sense of the word, undetectable, those people. <laughs> I wish that I could not detect their presence or their opinions or... Uh, I've, wh- I've whittled it down. I, I don't, I, there's not many I, in my circles. I, I wish that, yeah, they, I would just, they wouldn't, they couldn't, they weren't on the TV saying these things and, oh God, we could go on about this forever. We could and we don't we, want we don't, to. We don't want to. There's no reason. But yeah. We'll, we all know you agree with us. Yeah. Maybe, I hope there's some. I hope there's some like triple jabbed, masking in the shower motherfuckers out there listening to this yeah, and just hate hate yeah. fucking a pillow or something. They're literally driving in their car with three masks on and a visor shield. Yes, yes. With going to get their fourth booster, <laughs> and, and they feel betrayed hearing us say this. They do. I'm sorry, Yaz. <laughs> um, I mean, gender non-specific entities. <laughs> Ewans. <laughs> Ewans. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're giving away our, our geolocation by saying that, <laughs> yeah. aren't we? Um, well, we wanted to do a little, a, little, a little theological episode to close out season whatever season this is. 
uh, installment one of Near Dark Radio, The Plague Years. That's right. Uh, we, we took a little dive into the theosophy? Uh, well, I, I would say uh, anthropological theology. Anthropological theology. See, this is why we have writers on this show yeah. and not actors. Yeah. Uh, the anthropological theology of René Girard, René Girard, for all of you Luddites out there. That's right. Luddites, what? Yeah, um, yeah, you, you don't use a hammer and you can't speak French. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to be as pretentious as possible with this because you berated me for reading the book in its original, <laughs> in original French. original French, yeah. Um, but we, we, we read, a, we looked into a little book published late in Girard's lifetime called I Saw Satan Fall Like Lightning, a title which he gets from Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, from the mouth of Christ himself, uh, which is a little book that lays out Girard's philosophy, I think, in a very succinct way and applies it to the passion of Christ and mythology. And we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about part one of that book because it's it 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 lays out his theology or anthropological theology, yeah. his conception of sin and the origin of human violence and the sacrificial mechanism that recurs time and time again to save society from complete collapse. Ray. How how should we start this? Um, I think we start with the Old Testament, right? The yeah, Ten Commandments. We, yeah, we start with we. I would say we start with the Ten Commandments, and uh, really, what the book is about is a concept called mimetic desire. And, and when you run into any of the work of Gerard, he basically is a uh, he does variations on a single theme. And that theme is mimetic desire. And the concept of mimetic desire, and I'll try and put this as succinctly as I can, is you see someone who has something that you want and then you go all out to get whatever that is in the belief that it will make you happier, better, more whole. Then... Well, hold on. Let's stop there. Yeah. Because... Whenever I heard this term mimetic desire in other podcasts, it took me probably five or six podcasts before I understood what the fuck they were talking about. Right. Mimetic is a word meaning to copy or to imitate. Right. It's the same root as mime, um, meme, meme. parlance. Yeah. So it just means desire that is imitative. That is, yeah, it's imitative desire. And again, it has two parts. One is that you see someone, and for the majority of human history, that someone would be your neighbor because we all lived in small communities. So you would see your neighbor have something. Uh, It might be- Such as a wife or an ass. A wife or an ass or an ox or a- uh, Good. Slap bracelet. (laughs) And you- And you really, really... Or some light-up Nikes. Some light-up Nikes. uh, And you really, really wanted it because you felt that it would 
not simply make your life better, though that's possible, but in some sense, deep down, even if you're not conscious of it, you felt that it would make you whole. That's the first half of this. And the second half is that it doesn't stop there with mimetic desire because... No, okay, so let's stop there because I want to trace... Girard comes to that as the source of all human violence from the Ten Commandments because in, in, in the book he lays out or he points out that there are three or four different commandments that are specifically forbidding violence. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, Witness. which is like violence against truth. Right. And then thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, ass, ox. And then that that 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, just says, just stops and says, thou shalt not covet anything of thy neighbor's. Right. Because it could go on and on forever. Right. It could. And And he points, he singles that commandment out and says, look, this is, the Old Testament telling us that desire of other people's goods or possessions is the source of all human violence. Right. Essentially what Gerard, and this is, this is truly original thinking on Gerard's part as far as I know. Truly. Because what he says is that you can almost, rev- you can almost read the Ten Commandments in reverse order. Right. So what he's really saying is, God ordered the commandments in the way that he did because he is trying to prevent the he's trying to prevent the worst things first. Right. However, yeah. he works his way up. You know, because you know, the first commandment is, you know, you should only have one God, yeah. you know, you know. I forget, I I used to know it by heart, but Yes. Thou shalt not have other gods besides me, and thou shalt not use my name in vain. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day, love your mother and father, honor them. Right. So from the first commandment, which is also a very important one that I think Gerard, like it it doesn't talk as much about, but we'll come to that in a minute when we start going into the breakdown that he does on all this. But he's he's stopping worse things first. That's why they're ordered like they are. But you can read them in reverse order like a pyramid where – Right, kind of the the base is the bad thing, but the tip of the pyramid, the highest thing, is that the actual tenth commandment is once God has stopped you from doing these really bad things, and you've progressed along to the point where you're like, I'm I'm only going to have one God. I'm not going to murder people. I'm I'm not going to steal. Right. I'm not going to lie. You finally get to coveting, which is the tenth one, and what that's really about is that these in Gerard's thinking is that the source of all of the murder and all of the theft and all right. of the lying and all of the turning away from God and worshiping false gods. Right, right. Right? Which to it be, stems from it's, covetousness. It, it stems from covetousness, and it also explains that probably, if you look at it in the Girardian way, that that first commandment is as much, if not more, about having material as an alternative to God than just simply other polytheistic right. polytheistic views of the world or like worshiping Baal or whoever else. Like the very notion that the covetousness Well and what did what did what did Moses find when he came down to give them the golden commandments? Calf. Golden, calf, golden calf. A material a material object, right. right? Yeah. Which you know it's very specifically says you shall have no idols. And and you can take that materially because if you read it in the Girardian sense 
stopping the worst things first. And then at the very end, the very final commandment, it's basically like once you've got enough discipline to not do these things, then we're going to like, I'm going to reveal to you what the source of all of them is. Because actually the hardest thing to do is the 10th commandment. And if you can do the 10th commandment, you're going to ace all the rest of them because you really won't have outside of like maybe for self-defense as far as murder goes. And then the rest of them, you just won't have the need to do it. Right. Like it's just like, you don't have a need. You won't, the, the actual source, the actual source for all of the other um, commandments is the 10th commandment. So Gerard makes the argument that you can read them in reverse and that God is leading you towards the 10th commandment to basically say, hey, once you have gotten pretty good at these, which are very important, you will have, you basically get out of survival mode in your own head and you can start to consider what's causing all these things and you'll realize it is covetousness. And you can dig out the root of all evil. Right. You can, you can finally pull it up, but you, 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 you have to work your way down to the root of all evil. Right. And what he, so getting into the implications or the results of mimetic desire because, and this is where I don't necessarily agree with him. I don't think he's the best psychologist Mm, in this sense, because I don't think he, he goes full, full blown states it. Frankly, there is no desire besides mimetic desire, right? There is no desire that just springs forth from you you're, the only reason people desire things is because other people have them. Right. I I don't find that to be true personally, but we're just, this is all coming, we're, we're explaining Gerard's perspective here. And what he says this leads to, this mimetic desire, because it's imitative, people start imitating one another's desires to the point that an entire community, an entire society can be caught up in a, what he calls a contagion, a mimetic contagion of envy and lust and uh, rivalry, neighbor against neighbor, everyone coveting everyone else's stuff to the point that they're not even coveting the original, like the original thing anymore. Yeah, it's all just copies on copies on yeah. copies. And it's the Hobbesian all against all. Right. And the that's, war of all against yeah, all. Yeah, the war of all against all. And in that scenario, basically, Everybody has to keep an eye on everyone else and attack them, and everyone's out to get what they can for themselves. And right. just looking for the come up, and they're waiting for you to slip up so that they can get what you have or attack you when you're not looking. Yeah, and and that that is everything. And uh, it leads society to the brink of chaos, at which point society as a whole turns against one singular individual, the scapegoat. Right. And sacrifices them in order to restore order. They yeah. put all of their, yeah. all of the evils of their brethren into one. In this, in Gerard's case, Christ was one of these figures. Yeah. But there's, there have been others throughout history. And by performing that sacrifice, they purge society of this mimetic contagion order is restored. And then they realize that that sacrifice is the source of this newfound order and they deify the sacrificial victim. Right. So in this case, Christ becomes the son of God. Right. Well, I don't know if Gerard would say that because he views Christ as the son of God. God. But I I mean, 
there's an element of, I think in some of Gerard's thinking that basically when you take the situation of Jesus Christ and him believing that Christ is the son of God is that this was a process. And this is, okay, this is where it gets kind of tricky. And again, I'm going to try to be succinct with this. Basically, Gerard is saying that this has been a process since the beginning of humanity. And obviously, if it's been a process since the beginning of humanity, it has been something which uh, very smart human beings have definitely observed uh, and the smartest have observed. And it, of course, God himself is always known of, right, as have more nefarious uh, beings such as Satan, Lucifer, whatever. Like this is this has been known to the very sharpest human beings and, of course, anything that is uh, supernatural. Like they, they would all know this. And it's a process that repeated itself over and over and over again. And in Gerard's thinking, right, he basically says mimetic desire is unavoidable. But the only thing that is worth mimesis, copying, desiring, is God himself. It's the actions of God. Now, God is a non-corporeal being who goes beyond all understanding. You can know that there is a God... Right, and at a certain point in your eternal journey, you may know God, but you don't know what God is. You can't. It's right. It's, it's, it's beyond not, a category. Right. It's beyond all categories. So the very it's not technically imitatable. It's not imitatable. It just is, and you're a part of it in some way. Right. And, and but you're not. But you are. Because right. again, it's beyond categories. So right, it's right. it's it's both those things at once. So you can't really imitate something that you can't even place into a category. However, if that were to incarnate as a human being, then you could. And that was the notion of why God put himself on earth in the form of his son. And why he, again, knowing the scapegoat cycle and how important it was for human beings to create basically not merely new communities, but new models of understanding and being. Every time one of these type things happen, it completely reconfigures society and the human mind and soul. So he basically said, okay, I'm going to incarnate on earth. I'm going to come down here and teach all these things. And this is where you get into certain humanist readings of the Bible, where it's like, well, it matters primarily what Jesus taught because he didn't really die and none of that's true and he didn't come back from the dead. This is why in the Gerardian sense that that is, it doesn't matter what Jesus said. A lot of people said things like Jesus said. When Jesus was a little kid, there was a guy running around in his immediate vicinity named Rabbi Hillel who said the majority of what Jesus said. In fact, it's a pretty good chance that Jesus knew the guy. He probably saw him preach when he was a kid. And Rabbi Hillel is extremely important, and Jesus would have almost certainly fallen into his school of thought, with, just based upon everything Jesus said and how he treated the world. However, Rabbi Hillel doesn't have an but, entire religion devoted to him. Jesus right. Christ does. Right. And Jesus Christ does because he died for everyone so that they could get away from the source of all human pain and suffering, which is mimetic desire. Because Because knowing that you can't, knowing that mimetic desire is built into the human condition, it is not something we can escape. It's almost, I think I put in my notes when I was reading that like imitation, Gerard almost views imitation as like the original sin of humanity. Mm -hmm. It's something you can't get away from. It's the la tâche originelle. Yeah. Um, And... 
knowing that God sends us not not a law that says thou shalt not imitate yeah. because it would be impossible to follow that, but here's a model that you can imitate that will not lead to mimetic contagion and the cycle of violence and hatred well, you, that, yeah. that entails. Well, you can just look to the myth in the Garden of Eden. I mean, it, it's, it's all right there. In the myth of the Garden of Eden, there are, there's not just one tree, there's two trees. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of the eternal, uh, the tree of eternal life. And they are told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. And they eat now. However, one, however one wants to take that metaphorically or anything else, it really doesn't matter in this instance. That's what the symbolic thing is, and that's what it's called, which means that's what its function is. So regardless of what it actually was, doesn't matter because it's called this. Right. It's labeled this for a fucking reason. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they eat from it. And when they eat from Even it, after they're forbidden to eat from after it, after they're forbidden, they to just eat can't. From they just can't they help can't, themselves. They can't help themselves. Now, if the knowledge that they would have would make unto them like gods, then it goes to reason that eating from that tree would give them a higher type of knowledge that would be closer to God or could be on par with gods, mm-hmm. right? And that is not permitted. But then there is the tree of life, as we all understand it in the Christian tradition, which is also in the garden, which is frequently called Jesus. Now, if you are to eat of the tree of life and eternal life, and the only thing that lives forever and ever and ever and can never be destroyed is God, then you have a split. You have a divide. God said, you can't eat this thing and know the things that I know. But he said, eventually, you can eat from this tree, which is of life. And, and have you, eternal life. And you can have, but having the eternal life would mean essentially that you would be a part of God. Right. No, you, you can't get the knowledge of God apart from God. Right. You can't have the material of the world apart from God himself because you have to ask the question. God created everything, so what did God create everything from? It seemed very likely the answer to that would be from himself. Like, the, uh, one of the great yeah. mysteries. Well, st- st- stop yeah. you there. Yeah. Like the it would because this is interesting. Like it's it's not even immortality that we're it's that God forbids us. Yeah, God is like God actually says no. I mean, Christ says, "Eat this bread, and you shall have it. You eat of me, and you shall have eternal life." Right. What God is forbidding us is knowledge of everything. What we are knowledge of everything outside of Him. Right. Like if you if you are to if you are to engage in the act of mimesis of Jesus, right? If you are to pattern your life after Jesus, even after you fail in this realm, which you ultimately will. Right. You you, you get you, to fail up. You you get to fail up. It's the only real instance of failing up that makes sense. <laughs> is that you you get to fail up. And when you fail in that way, right? And but you are then taken up and you become a part of God through right. Jesus. You you are a part of God. So then in God's embrace, when you merge into God, which again, it's it's, it's beyond categories. You are and are not God at that point, but you know it. Use a blinker you when you it. merge into God, please. Use a blinker when you merge into God. But when you do that... You can then know everything. But to have a Well, that's separation. not even promised, is it? No, but it's implied heavily. It's, it's, it, it it's could heavily, be implied. It's what, I, what I was getting at is that yeah. in modern society, since the Enlightenment, we've flipped that on its head. Mm-hmm. And certain, you know, 
what people considered satanic or demonic or, you know, esoteric cults yeah. looking for what Gnostic cults yeah. looking for knowledge. Well, yeah, because the, these the, are yeah. going against God's commandments. Well, yeah, because well, in the sense that instead of just seeking eternal life, you're seeking knowledge. Knowledge equals yeah. power. Power equals well, that's, corruption. Yeah, to to bring that 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 would be very interesting. We don't have enough time for it, but to bring Gnosticism as we understand it in the Christian tradition into the Girardian conversation gets really weird because. The Gnostics are basically like you. They they take an extreme polar tact, which is that they're like, yes, you do need to go up and you do need to merge with God, but they're like also the entire material world is like garbage and it's toxic and it actually should all be destroyed. It's basically like saying God, everything that God made is radioactive trash. And that you need to not breed, you need to not have children, you need to hope that the world ends, you need right, to right. basically commit psycho, not, I don't know, spiritual, but definitely like, there's no reason that a Gnostic shouldn't commit suicide. <laughs> like, there's like a hardcore, like, Gnostic in the old school tradition, like, because they, they had, I mean... It's almost nihilistic. Yeah, it's it's very close to nihilism because they're like the physical world is corrupt and God basically made a mistake doing it and it wasn't really God. It was a demiurge between... Well, let's... It gets, okay. all, all, right. it gets all confusing, but I bring this up in the context of the Girardian system to basically say that the notion that materialism itself, a mimetic desire, which the two are tied together... right. The notion that it is the source of all evil does line up in some parts with kind of a Gnostic view of the world, but mimetic desire is not seen as exclusively evil because it allows for free will and because God did it intentionally. Right. God God created mimetic desire, but then the very notion of why the mimetic desire, had the, the one way that it will ever possibly work is for you to imitate God himself, which goes back to what I was saying earlier. If God created, God created everything. So what did he create it out of? It was, it would appear he created out of himself. Right. Like everything around you is God, yet it is different from God. But at the same time, it is, again, it's a, it's a category that transcends, it, it, it's, a, it's a state that transcends categories and it is what everything is in. I say this because basically to if you really want to um, climb to the top of the tallest mountain on earth and see the most beautiful view possible, and you think that, like, again, climbing Kilimanjaro and getting to the top, that's not the tallest mountain on earth, but it's a very pretty one. You climb Kilimanjaro, you get to the top, you see this amazing view, makes your life better and tick something off your bucket list. Really, you don't want that. You right. want a emotional and spiritual state that you think that that will induce. Yeah. And in doing that, you are basically in the physical world as you do it, you are moving towards, you, you want what God has created. But right. God is that very thing. Right. God made that. You're attempting to imitate. You're, you're, you're attempting, you are mistaking the menu for the food. <laughs> you're, you're, you're eating the menu, but that's the problem. Like if you, if you are, that's a very French metaphor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, you're you're eating the menu. 
right? You're just like, I'll, you know what? It all looks so good. I'll eat the whole fucking menu. Everything mm-hmm. on the menu seems delicious. I'll just eat the menu. Like the the notion that you that you if you are imitating God, which is the one good path of mimetic desire, if you're imitating Jesus, if you're imitating God, then if you climb that mountain, if you do whatever else, if that's something that you want to do, it won't be wasted. You won't be doing it desirously. You will get to see something beautiful, but you will understand where that mountain came from. You will understand right. what it is an extension of. You will understand what it is an expression of. You will understand that you yourself on top of the mountain are an expression of the thing that is beautiful as much as the mountain is. You right. all come from one place, all made by one thing, which you will all go back to and which you all came out of. And right. in that mimetic sense, you get it. But anything other than copying God himself, which is what it, which That's is what the, Christ is the yeah, model for. Model for. Like, th- everything that you desire issues from one source, and that is what you should copy. Right. And that is why God had to incarnate as a human being, because if he did not, then you would have this state that you can't even fathom. But you right. do have this one individual, and you're like, I can't follow that. And yeah. in doing that, you will be connected to this this incomprehensible like understanding of God at which point when you do all those things that you want to do it you won't be delusional to the point of thinking that that's going to fix your problems that's going to get you whole inside that's going to give you a sense of being connected to something larger right well and something else that he brings up uh and he talks extensively I've, I've seen him interviewed about this as well uh he makes a specific point of criticizing the modernist interpretations of Peter's denial. That so is, that's very good, yeah. When Peter in the garden is asked, while, while Christ is on trial inside with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, yeah. these people come up to Peter and ask him if he, you know this guy, and he's like, no, 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 no. And modern interpreters have kind of tried to play that in different ways, saying that like, oh, Peter had a, a very peculiar personality or... So, like, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what specific arguments Gerard is trying to dismiss there, but he says, no, he makes the point that, no, it's, it's not that Peter is some peculiar individual that is <clears throat> being affected by God in a certain way. The, this, this is to point out that even Peter, one of the most devoted yeah. disciples of Christ, the most, you know, yeah. his chosen the foundation, foundation of the church, of the church even Peter was caught up in the mimetic contagion that was enveloping the society there at the time that was going to use Christ as the sacrificial victim. And he points out that the, the trying to deny that you are, that even Peter was susceptible to this mimetic contagion, this crowd frenzy. Yeah deludes the modern thinker into thinking that they would have acted differently in Peter's shoes, that they are somehow immune from the mimetic contagion. And it, which, which broadens out into a whole different, like the whole idea that, you know, people have today that like, Oh, if I was George Washington, such a bad man, cause he owned slaves and I wouldn't have owned any slaves if I lived back then. Yes. What if you were rich enough? Yeah, you would have, you would have, yeah, you would have. Yeah. Because that was the that was the mimetic yeah. environment. Yes, I mean, you're part of the human race. Yeah. You are an imitating if, creature. You, if you lived in a place where slavery was legal and you were born there and you were from there, yeah, right, 
and it was legal, you very, very, very likely would have done it. And and the point that he makes with Peter is a very interesting one about the contagion of mimesis and also that the only source of mimesis that is worth anything is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Because, again, that's the form of mimesis of God that you can understand is the incarnated version. Right. Because Peter very likely denied Christ three times because the most amazing being that had ever walked on earth by Peter's own admission. I mean, Peter saw him do all these things. Peter knew him personally. And Jesus said, you're the best one. You're who I'm going to build the church on. Like, yeah. like you're the, you have the keys. Like this is what you're doing. You know, upon this rock, Petros, Peter, I found yeah. my church. Exactly. Like, you know, don't say Jesus didn't have a sense of humor. He had a great pun. <laughs> the entire line of apostolic succession for the running of the Catholic church is based upon a pun. Right. 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 But he said, uh, you know, you're the guy. And that meant that he was the best one. Uh, he, this is what we're all going to found it on is you. And he knew like he, and he knew that he knew that there was no one more amazing than Jesus who had ever lived. And he personally knew him. And then he had watched this person get done up and the state was going to execute him in the most pain, pain, painful way possible and that he wasn't going to be able to escape from it. So he was watching someone he knew to be God was about to get murdered. So he was freaked out. Right. And he knew that no matter how Jesus defended himself, it still wound up with it happening, right? Because yeah. there's only two things. Jesus basically... Didn't he either didn't deny the charges that were put forward to him, like he didn't say that it wasn't true, or his arguments were ignored. And the the one main argument when he was asked, you know, are you God? He just didn't say anything. Right. So he didn't he said, lie. You say I am. You say I am. He didn't lie. Right. He didn't say I'm not. He didn't say I am. He said you say I am. Right. So if you are imitating God, if you're about to, if someone you know that is God. If you've seen God is about to get murdered and you saw that God put forward arguments and was still denied and then you see everybody turn on him as like we have to murder him and he's right. the most powerful being in existence. And then somebody's like, do you know him? Right. You're afraid you're about to get fucking murdered. Yeah. So in that instance, there when they said, do you know him? Peter, if he was imitating Christ, would only have two options. One would be to say, yes, I do, and then just like Christ, go down for it. Right. Or when they say, do you know him, say something along the lines of, you all seem to think that I do. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two answers he could have done that would have been an imitation of Christ, which is the only acceptable form of mimetic desire. However, he lied three times in a row. Magic right. number. Three times as he told he was gonna he's, as he was told he was gonna do. So he denied the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He divide, he he Ooh. he denied God. Yeah. He denied God in every aspect. And he he even though he was the best person, the person upon whom the church would be founded, in that moment, the most crucial moment of his life, almost certainly. He fell prey to the mimetic desire because he didn't want he, – he saw that if God himself could be murdered by these people, definitely Peter could be murdered by these people. Right. And Gerard saw in this, like, not only Peter, not only the father of the church yeah. could be swept up in this mimetic desire, but the king at the time, Pontius Pilate. The governor. The governor. 
as well as the lowest of criminals, the two thieves that were hung yeah. on either side of Christ, also were swept up in this mimetic contagion. And I think Girard looks at that as another instance of the Gospels trying to illustrate the fact that this mimetic contagion <clears throat> is all-encompassing, all-consuming. Yeah. None of us are free from it. Even the highest, the, the, the highest position in society, Pilate, was trying to give Jesus. He threw him several bones. He was like, hey, look, trying to save your life here. I don't see what you've done wrong. The Jews seem yeah. to have it out for you. What's going on here? And Christ was like, I'm, uh, I'm not really going to answer you. Yeah. And he said, well, hey, let's have this other guy, this Barabbas, this murderer or whatever. Let's, how about him? How about y'all just crucify him? And the Jews said, no, no. we need Christ. Yeah. And Pilate said, okay. okay, well, I fear a riot. I don't want a riot, so I'm going to go along with it. Yeah. He, and then the thieves yeah. next to Jesus, while they're hanging on the cross, the lowest of, the, of society are sitting there jeering Christ like, nah, 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 yeah, you nah. Say you're, save yourself if you can, nah, yeah. perform a miracle. Even, even and, they, as they're dying and being killed in the exact same way he is, tortured right. to death, even they succumb to scapegoating him yes. as they're being murdered. As they're being That's murdered. how powerful that the urge is. And really, right. I mean. And it, Gerard has this yeah. wonderful line that I wrote down verbatim. He says, quote, the more one is crucified, the more one burns to participate in the crucifixion of one more crucified than oneself. Yes. And it's like, yeah, no matter how low you are, you if you aren't imitating Christ, if you aren't trying to arrive at godliness, yeah. you are going to try to find someone lower than you and step on them. And step on them. Right, and I mean that's really and that's, and that was just such a nice like it's it's a great like like illustration of meanness and yeah. pettiness yeah like how even the you know uh, yeah well pettiness in the act of self preservation and community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like on on a psychological and physical level yeah I mean there's a lot to be said in Gerard very likely for how a lot of this mimetic contagion happens is, is confusing the psychological for the spiritual. Like if you, if you think that like, if you take your mind to be not merely an extension of your soul, but your soul itself, then it would be very easy for you to think that like, okay, I need to go along with what all these people are doing here because my mind is tied to their mind. Right. right, right like right. for me to keep my peace of mind and stay sound, I need to go along with all these people and to preserve sounds my body. Like, sounds like something we're dealing with right yes, now. Yes, it does. <laughs> right. And if you. If, How insane do you feel, listeners? Yes. Yeah. Maybe the more insane you feel, mm-hmm. the better off you are in the long run. In the long run. Because in another thing, again, to tie it back to kind of mimetic desire and in the, the Bible and kind of the Christian reading of it, of like the Old Testament being a prelude and working all the way up to the incarnation of Jesus and the story that happens in the Gospels and the crucifixion and the resurrection, is that, again, the initial human action in the Bible that kicks the whole thing off, it's not only they're told not to eat this fruit, but then one of them does and then goes up to the other one a two-person scenario of peer pressure, <laughs> the weakest you could get, but right, also right. at the time it encompassed everyone and was like, right, right. hey, eat this. Yeah. And it was like, oh, man, like you're, 
you're the best and you're the only person I got. And like, I guess I'll eat it. Yeah. And I ate it. Yeah. And that was the initial instance right. of mimetic desire was right. that there was two people. One of them did the thing. And then the other one was like, hey, come on, do this. Yeah. And then did it. And then when you look in the Bible, again, the only person that was free from mimetic desire because literally to the point where they were like, no, I would rather be tortured to death. Yeah. Is <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And then before him, the two precursors that exist, I would argue, that, and there are figures that are seen as prefiguring Christ. One is Elijah, who in Jewish theology, right, like in Passover, you leave a seat open at the table uh-huh. for Elijah because that's the notion is that he is the Savior and he will return one day because he never died. He, he never died. He just yeah. went up into heaven. And then the other one would be... And it's a bit trickier. Elijah definitely would be a precursor as a human, but weirdly kind of not a human because he never died. But then potentially, and I'd have to think because obviously his story is longer than anyone else's in the Bible. Weirdly, no, you couldn't say it about Moses because like he murdered the shit out of that dude. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and like he And did, almost murdered his son. And all, no, no, no sorry, that was Abraham. Abraham. That was Abraham. Whoops. Like, yeah, but like really Elijah is the only other person that could fall into that category. Kind of Moses. Also Moses killed a lot of Egyptians in the Red Sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, going back, yeah. so going back to like echoes of this in the Old Testament, Gerard has this really interesting interpretation of the passage from Isaiah that's always invoked as the you know the prophecy of Christ. The I forget what the what the you know chapter and verse is, but it's the every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill made low verse, right? Where Gerard says, this is not, as people interpret it, as like the end of days where the great equalization of mankind. What this is, is literally a description of a medic contagion that precedes... The, the sacrifice of the lamb. Well, it's, it's a horror. Because it's... It's a horror. If you imagine that it's, physically, it's a horror if you saw right, it. Right, right, right. And, what, and yeah. Gerard makes the argument that the more mimetic desire and mimetic contagion uh, ravish a community and swirl it up into this, you know, fever pitch, the more everyone starts to resemble each other. The more imit- the more people imitate one another, obviously, the more they start to resemble one another, the more society becomes this homogenous mass that is forming into a one that can then drive out the other. Right. The sacrificial victim. And again, as the as the the metaphor is put forward to be geographic, and you you look at it in terms of okay, if you exalted the valleys, and then if you brought down the high places, then you have a flat plain. It stretches on forever. I mean, like an unrelenting step or a very flat desert right. that you're in the middle of. I mean, it is a, it is a terror. <laughs> like, it, yeah. it's an absolute terror, and, and it will drive you to insanity. Like, in terms of a mental contagion, like, and just think about the people who, some some of the jumpiest people on the face of the earth are people who, like, live on planes and steps. So if you take somewhere like Europe or Asia and you live out on a step, and, like, the majority of the history of the people who ever lived there is they're just, like, doing their lives and the, the wind is smashing them <laughs> because there's nothing to block it. The rain is just, whenever it comes through, is drowning them. And then 
90% of the time, if they see a big dust cloud on the horizon, like a giant dust cloud, they're like, oh, fuck, here's coming a group of people to right. take our shit and fuck us up and destroy us. Right. You're always in kind of a tense state. There's a reason that there are very few <laughs> communities on places that fit that physical description is because it is a zone of like tension and nervousness and your brain can't deal with it. Right. Right. It's featureless. So, check this out. I wanted to segue into pop culture here out yeah. of this. Because what we live in today could best be described as a secular culture, a godless culture. Yeah. And what we're seeing is values and culture itself being promulgated by the pop industry. It's all the same. It's all, there's not many hills, there's not many valleys. Right. It's just a flat, what, wasteland? It's a wasteland. And the more people consume it, the more people imitate it, the more nondescript we all become, the more faceless, nameless, bland, you know, the, we all turn into Wojaks. Yeah, it's a very beige world. Very beige. Yes. And... An interesting thing I was thinking about after reading this, and I was kind of spinning my wheels in all of this, was because we do see sacrificial victims. South Park hit the fucking nail on the head yes. with the Britney Spears episode. Years ago. Yeah, where everyone's like turns into the paparazzi literally kill her by taking pictures of her. Yeah. And she's the sacrifice. She's the, what did they, I forget what they called her, but like the, at the end, they all the yeah, adults in the room kind of came right out and said, "Yeah, oh yes, the 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 young maiden has been sacrificed to the to the yeah. gods. We can all go back to normal now." And you see, pop, you know, pop stars. It's almost like we have this sort of <laughs> cast of Olympic Olympic gods, and you notice they all really toe the line. Yeah. When it comes to their political pronouncements, they all have the same opinions. Yeah. They all have the, they almost come out like and verbatim repeat one another. And I think the reason they do that is because they know that they are on the short list for being the sacrificial victim. Yeah. They are, they, everybody sees them. They're very visible. And if they step out of line, they could be the one. Yeah. Expelled. One of the best insights uh, that Eric Weinstein has ever had was he was like after between World War One and World War Two, specifically a policy was put into place in the United States of America that then spread throughout much of the Western world, which is a policy of no more heroes. It was much more pronounced Ooh. in it was much more pronounced in the United States of America. And the first he argues, and I think that he gets this argument from he the kernel of it from someone else, and he developed it was that the case zero for the No More Heroes policy was Charles Lindbergh. Uh huh. Charles Lindbergh. People forget how massive of a celebrity and a star he was, and what he did in an airplane, and how he flew, and he was tall, and he was good looking, and he was smart. Right. And, and a Nazi. And yes, a Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> but he could sway public opinion. Yeah. Like he, as one man who was not involved with the government, who was not directly involved with the military, 
who is not involved with the banking industry, the entertainment industry, really the infrastructure of the country. Right. He was just one brave man. Yeah. Right. Who did feats, and he was smart. And he was like, uh, I think that we should do this or we shouldn't do this. And people would fucking listen to him. Mm -hmm. And then the government was like, we can't have anybody right. like this anymore. Like we, and, and I would argue that a precursor to. The technocracy will not work with, such, not work. with such meddling peasantry. Yeah. No, it, it won't. The technocracy, like the, the Woodrow Wilson era missionary generation technocracy right. wouldn't work with people like that. I would argue that a precursor to him who was marginalized after the close of the Civil War, even though he was one of the sharpest critics of America that's ever existed and probably one of the best Americans, uh, who was marginalized afterwards after he'd outlived his use was Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass also mm. could sway large groups of people. He was also a genius. He was also like handsome and like broad shouldered and spoke a couple of languages and played multiple instruments and like was he could engage people. And there were people were kind of magnetized by Frederick Douglass. And then after the Civil War, he was kind of intentionally marginalized because he was also talking about, like, you know, we need to have more rights for, like, American Indians, for, like, women. Like, there's certain things that we need to do. And these groups would attempt to use him as, like, a pawn. Uh -huh. There are multiple people leading up to the decision of basically of, of Lindbergh that create that decision where they're like, we can't have these people who are not tied to a system right. running around. And if you look at the clamps that were put on Hollywood at roughly the same time right. that the decision was made to basically after Lindbergh to be like, nobody can be that powerful anymore. So when you had your uh, decency codes and yep. the movies, that's when it was the, the studio system took over. and you Top purge owned, of communism. Purge of communism. <laughs> everybody was owned. Everybody was kept together. And then at this exact same time, the FBI really comes into its own and, and takes its existence largely as a – has two prongs, which is a blackmailing ring. And then uh, chasing bank robbers who were robbing the money of the government that was federally insured, right, during this depression right. when shit was fucked up. That's the two reasons that the FBI largely exists. Is It's a blackmail ring to keep people in line, people like Marcus Garvey, you know, people like uh, certain, you know, Liberals, social Democrats, people who wanted social change but weren't communists. Right, right, right. People obviously going after... Certain people who really were communists, but primarily it's bank robbers and uh, outliers who they had blackmail on, as well as blackmail on lots of politicians. All of this shit comes together between World War I and World War II, and it's with the rise of the technocracy and Woodrow Wilson, and they're putting it together. Not to mention the rise of marketing and PR. Yeah. These, yeah, yeah. Louis Bernays. Yeah, Bernays. The peacetime use of propaganda. Yes, the peacetime use of propaganda, which immediately, that's Louis Bernays, Freud's nephew. And Edward that, Bernays. Edward Bernays, excuse me. Yeah. Edward Bernays, that's Freud's nephew, and that begins immediately after World War I. So this whole period, all of this comes together. And to, to put it mildly, so with the advertising part, that is the ramping up of mimetic contagion intentionally through commercial and state apparatuses that are tied very close together. And then at the exact same time, they target individuals who could create mimetic movements outside right. of the parameters and authority of the state and business. Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Malcolm X. Malcolm X. Yeah. Yeah. JFK to a certain extent. Yeah, a lot of a lot of 
And this is one reason why JFK went into the system. But yeah, still. he went into the system. Well, he and Robert, like, yeah. But, but that's also one of the reasons why very powerful people feel like they squibbed the kick with regulating the internet is because they thought that they had the problem taken care of with um, mimetic contagion coming from charismatic individuals. And then they thought the internet was a joke. People like Bill Gates, as much as Bill Gates wants to control the world, he made it harder than anyone else. When like, right, he was like right. the internet's a blip on the screen. It won't be anything. It's bullshit. It's a fad. Yeah. These are things that he was saying in the nineties where he's like, the internet's a joke. Who gives a fuck about it? But then it created a decentralized platform for disseminating memes. Yeah. And I don't just mean like cats. I mean, right, right. like, I mean, literally ideas, right? Philosophies, ways of being that could Bath. just, yeah, <laughs> that could spread, that could spread out and become. Well, and you look at Joe Rogan, like Joe yeah. Rogan is one of the, like Joe Rogan is literally an, a UFC commentator, a comedian and a B list actor. Yeah. Joe Rogan has become one of the most demonized figures in American culture by the mainstream institutions because he sits and has conversations with people and has a great deal of influence. Yes. And it's outside the system. No one's controlling him as far as we know. Like yeah. Alex Jones, another example. Yeah. Although people, you know, there are people that think he's a fucking CIA op, but like, these people that are outside the system that have used the internet to spread mimetic what ideas, ideas, yeah. thoughts, theories mm -hmm. that are not constructed and part of the fit into the mainstream narrative are ostracized. Yeah, and the, and the memes that they're spreading, some more refined and some more crude. Right, as charismatic individuals, and you can say whatever the fuck that you want about Alex Jones, but you can't say the man's not charismatic, and and know what the fuck you're talking about as no. far as I'm concerned. No, he's hot. Yeah, but, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Red scare girls, <laughs> spot on. One on the binary, like. <laughs> but I I would say this, on top of them being charismatic individuals who spreading memes, the chief meme that they are spreading is in opposition to what we'll just call kind of materialist memes, which is they're spreading the meme, think for yourself. Do right. not fall prey to mimetic contagion that makes you go along with everyone. So that takes a variety of forms, but if you trace it back to really what each of those people are saying is they're like, hey, make your own decisions. Don't let people bully you. Don't let people colonize your mind and wreck right, it, right, right. And do all this fucking shit. What'd like, you call them, mind rats? Yeah, oh, you're putting, it's putting rats in someone's head. Yeah. Don't let someone Don't put, let rats, put in rats in, your, in your, head. your head. Don't let people put rats in your head. Okay, I'd forgotten that I told you that <laughs> they phrase. Chew up, they chew up paper and make little nests. That's right, yeah. No, when, when someone puts rats in your head, they're making you doubt yourself and they're making you think that, uh, like, you, you either don't know what you're talking about or that, like, something's about to happen that you can't control and that right. will destroy you. It's, they're, they're giving you distractions. Distractions and, and, and honestly, yeah. I, you know, I'm kind of glad we're taking a little break from the podcast because I think – any source of information that you were listening to or watching or reading too much of yeah. is dangerous. Yeah, it is. Because it distracts you from what you're doing, what your purpose is, from even discovering that purpose for most people. I yeah. mean, 
let's be honest, most people aren't running around trying to even do the thing that they think they're supposed to do. They have no idea they what have they're no supposed idea. to do. Yeah. I mean, that's a very, very, very good observation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's... But it, and, and so like, you know, even if you, if you listen to this podcast every week or whenever we put it out, it's been difficult to do it every week with the holidays, yeah. but I'm distracting you yeah. because I'm giving, I'm telling you what my concerns are. I'm talking about what my concerns are, what my interests are, what my opinions are. And the, every second that you let me do that to you, you're letting me distract you from figuring out your own opinions from right now I, you I can yeah. inf- it's nice to be informed I'm not saying like tune out or drop out and tune in but like yeah to a certain extent you need to oh a, a perfect example of this is uh, actually I made up I made a new for my Twitter account I made a new huh? uh, iteration of that phrase yeah. I said tune in drop trowel and hold on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and hold on and tight. Hold on tight. <laughs> uh, dude, no, a perfect example of what we're talking about, which is, and, and I, I use him. Um, I use the person I'm about to say as a. I, I do like some of his work, but in my opinion, it's too much, and uh, I think some of that has to do with uh, algorithms and getting money and everything else. And, but it it is nerve wracking. And that is Tim Pool. If you uh-huh. Tim Pool puts out a glut of content, he does, and he's always amped up to like ten, or not not always to ten, but like to eight, yeah. and then sometimes he hits ten, and it's constantly. I never listen. You know, and with Tim Pool, and with Tim Pool again, I agree with I'd say at least about half the things that Tim says, but Tim, it's like. I can't li- lately in the past two or three months. I'm just like I can't listen to this guy. Maybe mm-hmm. once a month I'll listen to something that he's put out, but it's just too much and it's just too amped up. And even when I'm like, this person's making some good points, it's raising your blood pressure. It's 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 putting like noise into your head. It's right. putting you on edge. A friend of mine uncharitably <laughs> refers to Tim Pool as uh, Chimpy Fool. <laughs> he, he, he calls him chimpy fool and then uh I mean I heard him once described as a, a man pretending to be a journalist in a beanie. Like, well, like nothing more than it, well, he he used to do legitimate journalism. He, he did, did. He did. But but he's turned he hasn't into one of done these that in years. No, and he's turned into one of these like Andy No type figures yeah. that just, you know, he, he it's like there yes, Andy No has a role to play, yeah. but if you're just scrolling through Andy Noe's timeline yeah. and just seeing everything from his perspective, well, I, you it's know, like you would you would yeah. think Antifa is burning down every city in America. Well, with Andy like, Noe, even when I disagree with Andy Noe and I and I, you know, basically fall perfectly in line with what you're observing right now. Even when I'm doing that, the difference between Tim Pool and Andy Noe is it's like I can see what Andy Noe's doing and be like. 
Well, I don't really think that this is useful, what he's doing, or all that great, but, like, I get why he's doing it, because right. this dude is at war with people who've repeatedly tried to kill him. <laughs> sure, sure, like, sure. Right? Sure. Yeah. Like, so if I'm, like, this dude now just, like, sits at home. And by and tried like, to kill him, you mean they threw a milkshake at him? Well, they smell, I mean, they, they fucking, his head was swollen no, up, yeah, bleeding on the, the brain. They beat the shit out of him, man. Like... And he's a gay Asian, so that should have been a hate crime. That should have been a hate crime, but it was never classed as one. No. But I get, like, I don't think what that guy is doing, like, when he's just now at home and he's going through, like, police photo records and he's basically (laughs) being like, look at these. Look how ugly this Antifa people are. That's literally what he's doing. Look at these mentally ill bug men. I want you to remember (laughs) their faces because you need to know what they look like because they're going to keep doing this. They're going to get let out of jail. They're coming to a town near you. Yeah, and they're going to get let out of jail like immediately. Right. So you'll see them on the street. Thanks, Kamala. You you know who these, you need to know who these people are, but also like this guy is waging a war with people who did try and kill him. Right. Whereas, like, with Tim Pool, though, I'm just like and, – and, and, again, like, there's a certain trauma of, like, getting fucked up that bad and having this shit happen to you. But, like, Tim Pool, though, I'm like, man, you just don't want to go out and do that shit anymore. So you're in a compound in West Virginia, a dope house. I have nothing against the fact that you made a bunch of money. But now right. you're just – well, and that's yeah. Reading yeah. you're reading articles and yeah. watching videos all day long, and inviting guests on and having commentary about these different things. And you're talking, you're you're, you're doing a Ben Shapiro impression. Yeah, but it's like a different political view. It's it's weird. yeah. It's a sort of apolitical. And that well, and that's the my my issue with all of these things from Daily Wire all the way yeah. over to what's his name the 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 leftist dude that has his little anybody that has their YouTube channel that they're posting content every day and they are they are financially dependent yeah. on creating content and information. They've made a lot of a lot of people they're using the internet in precisely the the way that we should be concerned about which is they're addicting you to their content. Yeah. I don't care what po- politics they're spouting. Right. I don't care what message they're sending. They are financially dependent on your eyes and your ears. And as long as they keep putting out content, they're making money. Doesn't matter what the content is. Yeah. It could be it could be a fucking it could be piss Christ or it could be the Mona Lisa. Right. It's it. And I would much prefer people spend time watching art like piss Christ or Mona Lisa or you know yeah. great films or great music. But no, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just more easily digestible, what, for whatever reason, the digital universe has been used to monetize information, and that is mostly what people use it for. Yeah. And again, tree of knowledge. You're not supposed to fucking know everything. You're not. You're not. There's, there's a point where you have to. I mean, the people who are fucking this country up at the moment as regards this virus and locking people down and doing all this, a lot of it. It stems directly from them being unable to admit that they don't know everything, right? Precisely. Which goes back to previous comments that I made on this show is like never trust anybody who's like just won't even admit that they fucked up. Right. Right? I'm glad that you keep repeating that because that is something that people need to fight. Yeah. I mean because it's just like, man, these people, a lot of it comes from the fact that they just cannot believe that they don't know what's going on, that they don't have a handle on the situation. And if they don't, again, it's because you came over here and fucked my thing up. It's just like, no, you didn't know what you were doing to start with, and you keep compounding your errors. Yes. Because all that you can think of to do, you can't get to a point, the the very notion of, like, herd immunity through exposure, 
And I'm not saying in this case, but in any case at this point, right, right. okay, is simply not allowed because that means that you're not managing the situation. How do you know you fix the problem? Well, you do a bunch of shit. Sometimes that's not how problems get fixed. Right. Like, I think it was Jung who said that the older that you get, the more that you realize that most conflicts aren't resolved, they're outgrown. Like, and that's not to say with everything. Sometimes you really need to get down, you know, pray to God, but like row away from the rocks. Like, right, right, right. You know, right. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, there is that. But there is some shit, man, that you are not going to fix. Right. Do you know how the Black Plague, do you know how it got solved? It just fucking killed a bunch of people. Yep. They didn't realize for hundreds and hundreds of years later that it was rats, and it actually wasn't rats. It was the fleas on yep. the rats. They didn't know that. It just killed us horribly. Uh, horrifically killed so many people. Like a quarter of the population. Yeah, a quarter of the population of the planet Earth. And then it it, it wasn't as much of a problem anymore. <laughs> right. Like, not everything... I'm not seeing boobons popping up everywhere yeah, now. Yeah, no. Like, yes, there are cases where it's like, okay, we took the cowpox and then we made a smallpox vaccine and then that dealt with smallpox. Yes, that's an example. But with the bubonic plague, right... The way that humanity got over it was not through vaccines. Now, you can say, well, if we had them, no. we should have tried them. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. All that I and know guys, is— guys, let's stop calling this thing a vaccine. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a vaccine. vaccine. It's called gene therapy. It's gene therapy. It's gene therapy. But I don't know if a shot would have fixed the bubonic plague. All that I—it could have. All that I know is what really fucking happened. Yeah. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> like that, that's that, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what to fucking tell you. Like, and all I can tell you right now yeah. is that it doesn't matter how many people get vaccinated. It doesn't matter how many people don't get vaccinated. This thing is burning through us, yeah. and it's getting weaker every time it does it. Yeah, we're dealing with something now that's like not even a, as dangerous as the flu. Yeah, but we're acting like oh shit. Yeah, it's still the worst thing. Yeah, this may kill us. It may. may. This, it may kill me it may, tomorrow. It may, it may kill us tomorrow. Like it may kill me tomorrow. It may kill you tomorrow. It may kill a bunch of people tomorrow. But folks, deal with the fact that you're being told on a daily basis that not only do you not know what you're doing in your day to day life, that you're a complete fucking ignoramus as you're going around. It's like you don't know how to walk into a grocery store because you're not wearing a mask, and you don't know how far apart you should stand from somebody. Right. Kindergarten shit. Not only are you ignorant on that level, you're ignorant. On a intrinsically biological level, your body, is which has evolved yeah. to combat diseases, is so goddamn dumb <laughs> that it doesn't know. These people who I've lived in places where they live, right, the people who run all this shit, they are convinced that they know more than their own bodies. Like the, the front part of their brain. Right. Right? Right. They are convinced that their prefrontal cortex is smarter than the entire rest of not only their brain, but every brain on earth. And then everything. And every body on earth. And every body on earth. They're convinced that, like, the process of evolution, right, has nothing on them. It's got nothing on them. I heard someone say today that, that the West has the stupidest philosophy of mind in the world. It does. In the sense that we think of our mind as a brain encased in a skull, a monkey skull that is just completely dissociated from our body yeah. and the world around us and every other brain around us. Like, yeah. that's not right. No, it's that's not, not right. It's not, it's not right. Your, it's, bo- your, your, your yeah. mind is much more than your fucking brain. Yeah. 
It's your entire fucking body. It's every sensation. Yeah. It's every experience you have. It's every conversation you have. It's... Yeah. I mean, anybody who is even... I'm not going woo-woo yeah. here. I'm saying, Any, like... Anybody who's ever casually done psychedelics or meditated heavily, right? And, and again, these, these are experiential states, right. both of these. If you've ever done either of these things, and you'll know this is not theoretical. It's experiential. It happens to you, and you watch it happen. Anyone who's ever done those has a far better understanding, even if they can't quite put it into words, that your brain is far less likely to be creating your thoughts than it is to be transmitting thoughts that are already there. Again, that's the difference between the idealist right. and the materialist notion, that ideas precede matter. Your brain is like a fucking radio. You can see this when you're on hallucinogens, using them responsibly, or you meditate a lot. Things come into your brain. They come in. Yeah. That, that they're, they're com- you don't know where they're coming from. You have no idea where they're coming It's from. basically like your brain is, a, is on a radio dial, okay? And every day you are listening to the Big 98, <laughs> Listen to the Big 98 every fucking day. I'm going to start calling God the Big 98. The, the Big 98. <laughs> that's, that's actually really funny. You listen to the Big 98 every fucking day. And then one day you meditate a bunch or you take some drugs or as the literature clearly shows, you have a fucking near-death experience. You get brought back to life with some fucking paddles on your chest. And it's like all that happened was that you, you all, you all that you thought radio was was the big ninety eight because that's the only station that ever been tuned to in your brain. And then some shit happens to you, and the dial gets cranked, and you land on fucking ninety point three, ninety point three NPR, NPR, <laughs> or you land on like. Uh, no, you're not. If you put some drugs in your body, you're not going to land on NPR. You're not going to land on NPR. But, like, yeah, you you land on, like, a pirate radio station. You land on a soft rock station. You land on something. It doesn't matter what the You fuck. land on near-dark radio. Yeah, you land on near-dark radio. So you... And what Not happens, the podcast, yeah. the concept. Right. So you... The dial gets turned, and you snap off the big 98 for the first time in your life. You may be 50 years old, and then you're like, holy shit, that's crazy. That must be a fucking illusion because what real thoughts are are the big 98. It's like, no, man. What you, what you just had happen to you was that you realized— and this was far more common in the history of Christianity than it is now when right. you would have mystics like right. St. John of the Cross, like right. Joan of Arc. You want to know what happened to those people? You they what saw things. Yeah. You want to know what happens when God talks to you? It gets turned off the big 98. Like <laughs> the dial gets twisted. That's like if you, someone talking to you transdimensionally from heaven, wherever. When you hear that, what's happened is someone reached up to your radio and they turned the fucking knob and it went off the big 98. Yeah. Right? And it went somewhere, and you started hearing something. Like, it's then you have to reconsider. What Ray is trying to tell yeah. you all is that he has voices in his head. I have voices, <laughs> in my head. and that he listens to them devoutly. I'm trying to tell you that I don't prefer the Big Ninety Eight. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, but that, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I'm trying to pull all together is this: the the notion that we have of how minds work. And this ties into Gerard's view of memetics because if you only think that there is the big 98, it's very easy for you to get influenced by people when they're around you. You're like, do this, do this, do that. Right. Jesus wasn't tuned into the big 98. No, no. 
He he was somewhere else on the dial. He could tune in there when he had to talk to people. You know, right. it's one of the reasons he spoke in parables because he was like. It's one of the reasons he survived a, like a, a plethora of stonings that were coming for him yeah. before he actually got hung on the cross. Yes. Yes. There were several. There were several, there were several attempts on his life. Yes, there were. But he was in tune. He was able to tune in to the to the radio of the day and go, "Okay, oh boy, oh, oh boy, we, we need to get on the boat, boys." We need to get, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you could see him like basically. You could argue that when he would talk to people in parables or when he would address them in certain right. ways, that was him taking information that would be on near dark radio. But he knew that he had to deliver it to a big 98 audience. So he <laughs> broke out a guitar and he sang all of his information like a fucking Jason Aldean song. And they were all like, oh, yeah. I get that. I get that. Or they were like, or they were like I don't understand them lyrics, but I know that tune. Yeah, it's a yeah, really yeah. good tune. And then they would have to go and think about the lyrics to the song. Like he would play it big right, 98 right. style, but he was getting it from somewhere else. And yeah. if... You are a person of this time who is fighting mimetic contagion of the sort that we're talking about. A fact of the matter is, specifically, and I'll say this for artists because we're both artists. Right. There is a point where you have to approach that position on the dial, that big 98, where you have to go over to people and, again, you don't give them the songs that are on the radio, but you give them something in one way or another that is in that engages what they're used to hearing, right. but has elements that are not that are not in it, right. that are not there. Again, as someone that we've talked about a bunch before, who like took kind of mimetic movements in music and was like, "Oh, I see what's happening here," but I'm going to give some people something they can listen to. They'll be like, "I know what that is. It sounds like this, but it's different." Somebody like Warren Zevon, right? Where like you listen to a song like Werewolves of London and you're like, oh yeah, man, this is great. This is like bar music. This yeah. is like golf and western or whatever. Like don't do honky tonk piano. Yeah. But then you're like, wait a minute, this is a song about like Victorian ladies men who like seduces and maybe murders women, <laughs> right? Like that's what the song. If you don't know, folks, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, that's the song <laughs> yeah. Werewolves of London is about a dude in. Victorian England, yeah. who is seducing women, he's a cad, and he may be murdering them. Little old lady got mutilated last, last night. night. Yeah. I mean, that's what the song is about. But he wrote a song that you hear it, and you're like, yeah, man, that's just, whoo. Hey, hey, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's great. But that's that's an example. And in this time of rampant kind of mimesis, it's, if you're trying to have conversations with people, you kind of have to tune over to that part of the dial and you got to give them elements that they recognize and then things that they can't understand. And nobody was And if you're than, not an artist, yeah. if you're a listener, yeah. Start trying to start, you know, dig into what you're listening to yeah. and see if there's anything there from the other side. Yeah. And if there's not, stop listening to it. Stop listening because to it. Because it's not doing. You're it's you're eating you're eating fruit loops. Right. Yeah. You're not eating a fillet. Yeah. The only time that you should be and you shouldn't be doing this like every single fucking day. But to listen to things on the polar extremes, right? So we'll say something as different as like a tanky podcast on the left, something really fucking hardcore or crazy. Or let's just say that like BLM news updates on one end, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, And then... One American News Network. Exactly. Yeah. And then something all the way 
on the extreme hard right, like storm, that's what I storm said. front. Like One yeah. American News Network. Yeah, or, one, yeah. yeah, One American News Network, right? Yeah. You, if you're listening to both of these things, and we'll just take the news example. We won't get into art. But, like, if you're listening to both of these things, if you occasionally do that so that you can pick up on themes that are in there and you can be like, what is making this resonate with anyone to begin with? Right. Right? You, you find the points where you're like, what is causing this to resonate? Because there's some really crazy shit that if you're pretty sure if you sat the majority of the people down, you're like, you know, really, this, this be bad. If you thought it all the way through and then they're like, oh, yeah, that would be that. Then that would mean that something would happen to me. It's like, yeah, it would. Yeah. But you're like, well, what's making it resonate? Right. <clears throat> and that's what you get into and that's what you focus on. And again, really nobody. That's near dark radio. Yeah, that's near dark radio. <laughs> and really, in summation, no one was as good at that as Jesus. To be fair, he was God. But, <laughs> but like that was, I mean, Jesus did that better than anyone. And it is why he spoke in, you know, parables. Right. It's, it's why he did it was because... It would make people stop and think, and if you could, if you could arrest people in their thought, even if they never really grokked, to use an old word, even if they never really grokked what was going on or understood it in a fundamental way, it would freeze them up, and it would make them go off and wonder about, okay, if I can't understand that from like that guy or what's going on, but it sounded like something that I should know, then maybe I don't know as much as I think that I know. Mm-hmm. And then for the people who really got it. Not only if you really get somebody putting something like that to you, not only will you understand what's entailed in the message, but you will almost certainly, if you really do grok it, understand why you can't say it straight to somebody and why it was said that way to you. Right, right. And even when you do put it in terms, put it on, put it, put it out in a way that'll get played on the big ninety-eight. You might you might get crucified for your efforts. <laughs> um, Somehow, before big... we go, we are we are we just we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Indeed, uh, we're on the third day of that. Yes, and I just wanted to wrap up the year, wrap up this installment of the podcast with a little. I, I just we had a little near dark radio Christmas party where locals that are near our geographical location that either listen to the podcast or have been on the podcast all came over and got together. Most of whom didn't know each other. Yeah. It was a blast though. I was so grateful. Yes. That I have so many weird, interesting, fun friends that can fucking meet each other, have a good time with each other, go to bed at a reasonable hour. <laughs> Cause yeah. we're all adults. Right. And I just had, you know, it was it was a great highlight of my Christmas season, which again still isn't over. We got twelve days. That's right. And I was so the next morning, or the next day, I, you know, yeah, I slept in, but I I was going around the house cleaning up, and I noticed the the little the little driplets on the on the floor that you get when you have a when you have people over with uh-huh. drink, you know. Not they're not they're not the full blown spills that you clean up in the moment. The sloshes. They're just the sloshes that you don't notice. Yeah. But they're dotting the floor. And I saw those and I was like, oh yeah. That means, you know, that's that's that happens because you're having such a good time that you bump into somebody or run into a door or you're ha- you're so engrossed in a conversation you can't you don't know the angle of your glass yeah. and you know that kind of it's like so everybody had a good fucking time last night 
and went around and started cleaning them up. And I noticed they were all like a, a deep burgundy red. And I was like, wait, these are all red wine. Wait, I was the only person drinking red wine last night. <laughs> so I guess, you know, having that little, I was like, okay, well, I guess I had the best time last night. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice. It's just nice to bring people together, and I'm glad we got to do it. And I plan on doing it more often at an undisclosed location. Indeed. So don't try to fucking, don't try to come, you heathens. Um, do you have anything to leave the listeners with at the end of the hmm. end of the year? The end of the year. Uh, I would I would say this. Besides everything that we yeah. just did. If you've made it this far and yet and you've pushed back against the insanity around you and you've held your ground as much as you can, you should feel proud of yourselves. You did it. You know, as someone else pointed out saying this the other day and something that I listened to, something that a buddy of mine sent me. Um, and this, this guy pointed this out. He's an Irish commentarian. He's like, if you've made it past the 18 month window where they're trying to push all this shit on you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Which is like, the, it's all great reset related at this point. I think that we realize, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty obvious, pretty obvious guys. Yeah. Uh, if if you've made it this far, you're gonna make it all the way. Like YGM. Like if folks, if you're listening to this right now, and that's not to say if like you've not budged on anything, but if you're sitting here and you're hearing our voices and you're and and you're like, yeah, a lot of this is just hits home. It's yeah. true, and yeah. I'm and I'm not like just gonna give up and fold down and go under, you know. I'm not going to get the, as, as this guy said, he was an Irish commentator by the name of Thomas Sheridan, who's absolutely awesome. But as he called it, he was like, if you're not going to get the fourth needlecraft, this is what he calls the shots. <laughs> he calls it needlecraft. Needlecraft. The needlecraft. But like, <laughs> if you are, if, if you're not going to go down that, if you've already made up your mind and be like, I'm not doing this forever. I'm yeah. not being locked down forever. I'm not being told that like I, can't hug people at a family party. Right. You know, I'm not being told that I need to have permission to travel between state to state. Right. You know, if, if you've come this far, you're going to make it. YGM. You're going to, you, you've, you've all, you've already done it. Everything after this, and it could get wild after this, but everything after this, if you've already gone this far, folks, yeah, you're going to go all the way. You're going to come out the other side of it. You're going to be fine. Because these people are clowns and they're starting to fold. That doesn't mean that they won't Their flare up. Their makeup's coming off. Their makeup's coming off. Doesn't mean that they won't flare up. It doesn't mean that they won't try some shit, right? Yeah. But when you look around and you see your neighbors now and, and, and you are hanging out with one another, you're probably noticing more and more that few and few people are asking, like, do you have a vaccine or why don't you have a mask right. on, right? Just the people in your day-to-day -day life, to go back to what we were saying earlier about neighbors and mimesis, the people closest to you, again, unless you live in a very blue zone city, really aren't asking too many questions at this point. Yeah. They're not giving a fuck. We all They're were, not making demands of you. They're not making demands of you. And we were all just at family gatherings, Recently, right? And if you just notice family attitudes and how they've shifted and attitudes with your neighbors from the 4th of July 
to the to Christmas now. season. Yeah. Think about how much has changed. Yeah. Think about how much now people are like, okay, hey, you're not wearing a mask. Hey, he doesn't have a shot. Well, honestly, in my circle of friends, it hasn't changed at all. But, exactly. But, but like, you're like, hey, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a mask. Or like, right. hey, he doesn't have a shot. I mean, right. or, yeah, he only has two shots. He doesn't have a booster. He doesn't have he only has two. He only has two. He only has a booster. Yeah. Like, People aren't caring as much anymore because they're beginning to see through it and there's beginning to be backpedaling. Again, there will be more shenanigans. There absolutely will be because these people are incapable of admitting that they – they're terrified to admit that they don't know every single thing that's going on and they can't control it all. So count on more shenanigans. But they can only fight for so long against the fact that people are – people like yourselves are being like, no, I – Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, so I can't go to this bar. Oh, You're whatever. all good. We're go. all good, folks. Yeah. Just so that's stand it. Stand up strong. Stand up proud. Yeah. Y- and YGM. Y- You're going to make it. Okay. They're going to make it. YGMI? I? What's the I? It. I, um, yeah. I. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, now said, that we've picked YGMI. that apart. Yeah, YGMI. YGMI. The new YMCA. Ladies and gentlemen, somebody write the dance hit of 2022 YGMI and we will see you next time. Tune off the Big 98.